Hey, this is Johnny, John Goldman. You're listening to Johnny's Secret Stash on Radio Harbor Country. W, uh, WRHZ at 93.5 FM out of Sawyer, Michigan, which is where we are in the studio. And WRHC 106.7 FM out of Three Oaks, Michigan. And I am delighted to welcome our guest, Brian Lubeck, today. Uh, Brian is a world-renowned guitarist. I uh, just came out with a new album called Midnight Sun in uh, August of 2021. And uh, Brian, welcome to the show. Really glad to have you here. Uh, I am just touching on uh, the the base of of your fame and uh, and your talent. Uh, I, I'm looking very forward to uh, getting to know you better and to uh, talk to you about it. Uh, I'm also really glad that you um, brought your guitar and some uh, uh, backup uh, material to allow you to, to do some of your songs. Uh, do you want to start out with something uh, at the top of the show? Yeah, I will start off with some. Well, let me set up the album just a little bit. Yes, but, um, You know, um, obviously during the pandemic, um, every musician um, from me all the way up to Sting uh, couldn't get out of the house, right? So everybody's at home writing music, plus... You know, a lot of the revenue that um, musicians make now, especially with the digital age, is through live performance. Right. And so all of that stops. So obviously everybody was, um, myself included, you know, we're trying to find interesting things to keep us busy and stay musical and also, frankly, you know, pay the bills. Right. And uh, um, so... I had already started the album and was almost complete when we, the, the album includes full string orchestra. So we were, we had just completed um, having the, the strings in and doing all of that stuff. So thankfully, oh, like, I think that happened like the month before things shut down. So luckily I was done with the album. Otherwise I would have had to have done the strings and the horns, you know, probably in synth, which would not have been, you know, what certainly I wouldn't have sounded right. the same. Yeah. And so that was lucky. What was not lucky was, you know, then, then, um, you know, I, I, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with the album. Normally you release it and then you tour. So I'm like, well, I don't think I want to release it immediately. Um, and so we kind of did a wait and see, which was pretty risky. It turns out because when I did go to release it in August, um, and you know, to, to release something in August, you have to be planning almost nine to 12 months ahead of time. You got to get your radio promoters set up. You have to, you know, websites done, music videos done. Um, my one music video sundress, uh, looks like we did this full production, but it's really pandemic. Um, it is me on the beach here. Um, Kimmel beach, actually uh -huh. the cameraman's behind me. And then, um, we wove in a woman dancing on a beach in California. It looks like we're all together on the uh, same beach, but yeah. you know, um, we had to be very creative that way. So by the time we were able to release in August, um, everybody was releasing music. And oh, so uh -huh. my radio promoter, who's one of the best in, in my genre, first of all, it was a miracle that he had the space open to promote because all the big, you know, Dave Koz and all those people are like coming out with albums and Kenny G and, and everybody else uh, in smooth jazz. And so, um, first of all, you know, radio pro promoters don't just promote anybody. Even if you show up with a bag of cash, they function on trust with the DJs. So they have to like it. They have to think it's perfect for radio. Right. So thankfully, you know, um, he loved the album. 
So I snuck into his last spot, which was in August. And uh, then, you know, the trick was he came back to me and he goes, you know, I, I think the album normally would just get a ton of radio play, but he goes, I don't know. Everybody's releasing music now. It's a it, very noisy, you know, pun intended <laughs> in the industry. And so, and it's not just noisy with lots of music. It's all the greats are coming out simultaneously. All the people that, you know, I've always looked up to and where my idols are also coming out. So now I'm competing with them much less just trying to get on, you know, get the attention of promoters. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And so, um, very lucky, um, you know, the radio stations picked it up. Um, you know, streaming was incredibly, um, good to us. And so the album has really taken off. And, uh, the song that I'm going to play first for you is, the title track off of Midnight Sun. And the story here for me is I, I've always, you know, lived and, and grown up on the West Coast of Michigan. Uh -huh. yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah. And so when I get interviewed, everybody's like, oh, you're all about the wine country in the West Coast. And I, I, I'm like, yes, I am. However, <laughs> it's a different West Coast than what you're thinking. And so this song, Midnight Sun, is about, you know, being on the beach you know, with the, where you're at midnight, right? And the moon is out and it's so incredibly bright that it feels like it's daylight, yeah, you know, and you're yeah. just sitting there and enjoying it, but it's awesome because it's midnight. So like, it's super quiet and chill, but yet it's bright. So it's yeah. calming, but energetic at the same time. So that's what this song's all, all about. All right. If we had one of those nights a couple weeks ago with the full moon and oh, the, yeah. the clear night, it was just beautiful. Oh, that's the time to get on the yeah. beach and you know, the way we're set up here on the West Coast of Michigan uh, <laughs> is, you know, that that moon when positioned right will be on the water and just shine oh, off the water. Yeah. And then you've got, you know, the glow. I don't know whether there's this thing called a moon tan or not. But <laughs> um, Anyway, so that's what this song is all about. It's called Midnight Sun. All right.
right. Very nice. That was beautiful. Oh, thanks. Yes. Uh, and your guitar, I, I just keep staring at your t- guitar. It's gorgeous guitar. Is that uh, have, you know, some history to it, some meaning to it? Yeah, you know, um, I grew up, uh, I had some great in- instrumental input in my life growing up. So the way it all started for me with guitars was... Um, very transient when I was a kid. My mom was ill and we moved all over the place. And so things changed quite a bit. But what didn't change is she had bought me a guitar, uh, you know, when I was two, three, whatever that was. Yeah. So I couldn't really hold it quite yet. And I couldn't, you know, do anything with it. But wherever we went, that guitar was there. So I always had that with me under the bed. So I, I just had this, I don't know whether that caused the attraction or just I got fortunate with that. And then um, uh, finally, you know, I got stable, moved in with my grandparents, and they got me guitar lessons. And the beauty of that was the person, you know, again, by chance, life is all, I mean, you work hard, but still there's luck. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. um, and uh, I got lucky because she taught guitar, mandolin, bass, drums, and piano. And so I started at about 10 years old with her and a couple of years of lessons. And then she um, put together a band of like all the kids that were probably, I hope the best, Uh (laughs) maybe I was second best, I don't know, (laughs) but put us all together and we, we toured like all summer long. So we were doing big festivals. Now it was mainly folk and country and bluegrass. And what what age were you at that point? 13. So this is after two, three years of uh, taking lessons. Now in hindsight, I realize I must have picked it up really fast. I remember at the time I was like, oh, this is taking forever. (laughs) Um, But we did that. And so I got, but I got really bored, you know, picking individual notes. Cause the way she taught is, you know, you'd learn how to pick individual notes and play melodies. Yeah, uh-huh. And then, you know, you learn how to strum, right. You'd strum your guitar, but you know, it, and I did sing, but I couldn't always sing all of the melodies. And so I thought, well, gosh, I kind of want, I wish it would be more interesting. I just got bored. Um, if I combine the melody with the chord structure. So um, I remember I came up with this one. I was kind of into the musical Cats at the time. I think it just come out. So I came to her and I'm like, oh, hey, you know, I got kind of bored strumming the chords to Cats and then just picking. Right? Yeah. So I'm like, so I just kind of put it together like this. Yeah. <laughs> She likes, I just, I do remember she's like, okay, we're going to go a different direction. So she reached back. And again, this was very lucky that she had this. I didn't even know she was capable of teaching this, but she reached back. I remember and pulled um, a book off the shelf and opened it up and it had all these notes in it. And it was um, Segovia is one of the top Spanish uh-huh. guitarists of all time. It was his theory book. Oh man. Like how did this woman in middle <laughs> Millersburg, Indiana <laughs> pulled it out of pulled, the bag. Like we just had it there. And she's like, we're going to do this from here on out. So then that kind of started my love affair with classical and nylon string guitar. I got a scholarship to ball state university for that. And so nylon guitar has always been my passion, but it's mm. always very difficult on stage because it feeds back. You know, you got the big body oh. and then you've got the monitors in front of you and it's really difficult. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, and so I saw this guitar and it had nylon strings, but it looked electric. I'm like, well, this is, yeah, this is cool. And I just thought it looked cool. So I called up the company and I, 
I'm like, oh, I'm a recording artist now. Frankly, I think I'd recorded one song at that point. <laughs> like, you, you know, I'm looking for you know a guitar to like feature in my show, and so they're like, okay, we'll send you one. And I'm like, oh man, I'm a good <laughs> salesman, right? And so they sent this guitar, and uh, it's really, it's I think one of the best sounding stage nylon guitars in the world. And so I've had it uh, ever since, and. Um, you know, people tend to recognize me by this guitar because it's very unique, you know, looking. Uh -huh, yeah, it doesn't um, seem to have a, a regular pickup on it. Yeah, there's... It, uh, it's like embedded in the... Uh, yep, every single... On this guitar, every single string has its own pickup. I see. And okay. so what's interesting about that is it also allows me to electronically control keyboards. Uh -huh. So it's both an acoustic guitar plus i can hook this up to a computer and play the b3 organ on it if i want wow, to wow. so it's got all kinds of flex i don't do that but yeah, <laughs> I you if could. I wanted. yeah. <laughs> um but it's it's really a beautiful guitar for um live performance yeah. I, I use a different guitar more traditional in the studio where we can really control eq and you know put sure. the bafflings up in the right spot and get the sound the way we want but on stage you just have to go with the sound guy, and so you want to give him as simple of yeah. a thing as possible to mix and, and record with. And what's the uh, value of nylon strings versus metal strings yeah. you know, for the kind of work that you do? Well, for classical, that's traditional. Like, if you're okay. going to play fingerstyle, it's going to be, you know, the what you hear, you know, orchestras playing with, or if you hear your basic classical guitarist on a, that's a nylon string. And it's got to me a little bit of a warmer tone, um, steel string. And, and also, um, for me, it's utilitarian because what I, I like to play my, I have a, one of these that's ex exactly the same only with steel strings and I like to play it, but the steel strings, um, will, um, degrade my you know, when sure, my finger, my nails, fingers. right? Yeah. And so it's just like if I played the steel string for an entire show, I'd, I'd be, my nails would be completely off. Uh -huh. Whereas, you know, classic guitarists, we use our nails on, on our fingers to, to play. Yeah. So to me, it gives a warmer tone. Um, it's my signature tone. You know, it's just kind of what I've, I'm used to hearing and what I'm used to, um, you know, inspire me in the moment you know because it's not just about like hey i wrote this song but also when you're playing live if you're doing it right i think you get inspired in the moment with your own sound not that you're egotistical but it's just like wow i really like that i want to make more like that uh -huh. and that the audience benefits and you benefit so i don't know this one speaks to me yeah no i i hear it in the the way you play it's really remarkable uh, you were talking about this this teacher that you had yeah. uh, who introduced you to um, you know more of the Spanish uh, guitar style and everything. Uh, when did you start doing your own recordings and going to uh, going out and playing in that mode as opposed to the folk and, and yeah, uh, um, you know, uh, pretty late in life actually because when you first start out, you know, you're you don't have your own music to play. So you're playing other people's music. I'm playing John Denver. I'm playing Bob Dylan. I'm, you know, I'm 13 years old playing Bob Dylan. Like I've had this life experience, yeah, but, yeah. but you know, but you're playing other people's music. And I had always been writing, um, but I was always writing singer songwriter stuff with um, your voice. Yeah. Also. Uh -huh. And I, my first album was, um, uh, a vocal album. 
because uh, I just I hadn't really developed my single line work. And I and a lot of what I was doing, if I was writing stuff, was like, you know, Spanish guitar, you know, and it's yeah. like that wasn't really pop. And I didn't, you know, it was interesting, but I didn't feel like it was going to make it right. So I'm doing singer songwriter stuff and came out with the album. And I think we sold whew, maybe 53 copies, uh -huh. you know, just <laughs> spectacular. Um, and then um, I I got a chance to open for um, a, uh, a big smooth jazz artist, which is my, that's a radio format. It's not a style, but you know, that's kind of where I get played on the radio and uh, saxophone player, Richard Elliott from tower of power and you know, selling, he's sold millions sure. as well. And so I thought, well, his audience likes instrumental stuff. So, you know what, I'll try that. And I came out with an album called acoustic vineyard and uh, you know, 40,000 copies later, I'm like, yeah, wow. you know, stop singing, do more <laughs> instrumental <laughs> yeah. stuff. And so, yeah, we got a standing ovation. That was like my first smooth jazz show and, um, well, second smooth jazz show. And, and, you know, at that point standing ovation, and then I'm like, Oh, this feels good. And then mm -hmm. I went back to sign CDs and I was hoping to sell a few more than I did the last time, yeah. <laughs> which was like 30 CDs or something. And I remember I sat down at the desk and I picked up the CDs and all of a sudden I look up and the people were lined up to get a CD as far as I could see. Oh, there was man. probably two, 3000 people at that show. Wow. And there was probably 500 of them in line. And so I, I signed, I was the opener. So I signed through the whole break, which was about an hour and through Richard's. I had, I was excited about seeing a Richard show. Like yeah. he's my idol. I want to see <laughs> missed him. I missed the entire show. The last <laughs> CD I signed as he played his last <laughs> note. I'm like, you know, it's still a win. So, yeah, 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 that's uh, that's amazing. And uh, and how old were you at that point in time? Because you mentioned that you know. It oh yeah, it was. I was probably thirty-two at that point. So what had happened between like age fourteen and thirty-two was um, I was in show choir. You know, I was a uh -huh. singer and dancer as well, and um, I got uh, um, I was accepted into a very elite show choir at the time. Like if you think of Glee on TV, oh yeah, we uh -huh. were doing that like in 1987 oh. at Ball State. And so I had taken, I, I got a guitar scholarship to Ball State to play classical. I found out very quickly that me in a, in a practice room for five hours a day was not going to work. Uh -huh. I'm just yeah. too, you know, into people, yeah. <laughs> you know, and also you have to be very precise and play it the same way every single time when you're playing classical music. Yeah. Like, that's the point, right? And Is, you like to improv. I and mean, I'm like, I kind of wanted, like, what if I did this instead, yeah, you know? And then my teachers were like, no, you got to do it this way. And I, I'm just like, I can't do it. So I, I gave up the guitar scholarship. Um, and I started singing, dancing, I was taking ballet and vocal stuff. I was the youngest person ever in, um, uh, in Ball State had a really, um, uh, well-known chamber choir. Like we're talking like, you know, 30, 20 people in there and, and you had to audition. And I was the first ever freshman in there. And uh, don't ask me to sing, though. I'm not doing <laughs> Walk-on. Um, you were a walk-on freshman. I was a walk-on freshman. Yeah. So I got in there and I was got into the touring singing and dancing group, which was 10 guys, 10 girls with uh -huh. a full horn band. And we would tour. Um, and so I really got into that. I got a job at Six Flags in the summer being a singer and dancer. Um, and I really thought my direction was Broadway. 
I was still writing stuff at home. Yeah. But I thought it was Broadway and um, it, it, Disney was interested in hiring me to do production stuff. So I moved down to Florida and I thought, well, maybe that'll work out. But it was during Desert Storm. So they had a hiring freeze. So. Uh-huh the head of entertainment at Disney was like, I am going to hire you as soon as this is done. Just stay put in Orlando two weeks later. And (laughs) you know, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And yeah, exactly. Fly down. I moved everything, Uh you know, everything in my little arcs were like down there. And, uh, you know, I, it just didn't work out. And for lots of reasons and, uh, you know, they couldn't hire for a couple of years and I'm like, ah, I I don't know. I, I missed where we are, you know, back up here in, in, you know, Michiana West, West shore of uh, Michigan. Yeah. And, and so I'm like, I got to get back there. I need the seasons to change. I need the bugs to die in the winter time. You yeah. know? <laughs> um, and so um, I came back up and I, I just, I started doing some more playing and I came up with some more vocal tunes and some instrumental tunes. And I decided I would do a bucket list. I'm just going to like, one time, I'm going to hire the best musicians I can. I'm going to do one show at this little place called the Box Factory up in Benton Harbor, in Benton Harbor, St. Joe, Michigan. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm just going to do it and just check the bucket list. Like I've done a show, and you know, we filled the place because I'm, you know, I got a marketing background, so I'm, you know, I, I communicated. I got, you know, got people there, and and uh, we did the show, and uh, um. Everybody thought it was great. And I'm like, oh, this is good. And after the show, um, one of the radio, um, the general manager for the radio stations up there had called me. And they were doing this. They were going to do this thing first called Smooth Jazz at Sunset. It was back then Smooth Jazz was huge. And they're like, we're going to do this yearly thing. So they called me up and they're like, Brian, you know, I was at your show and um, loved your music. We're going to invite Craig Chiquiso, lead guitarist for Jefferson Airplane, Starship, all that. Uh-huh. And he was big at the time, also in the smooth jazz um, genre. We're going to have him come in, and we need an opener. And so I'm like, oh, you know what? You should get so-and-so to be your opener, or this person. You know, I thought they were calling me for my opinion yeah. on like who to get. So I'm, <laughs> And he's like, shut up. I'm calling because I want you to open for them. And that's kind of the moment where I'm like, Okay, well, maybe this is if he liked it, the audience seemed to like it. I think it's a thing. Um, I'm gonna try to do my own version of pop, Spanish guitar, jazz, <laughs> you know, all of that yeah. in there. And here we are. Yeah. So when you're on stage, do you um, uh, incorporate impro- improvised uh, work as well? Uh, obviously, on an album, you know, you don't do it as much. Well. Uh, or, Actually, or no. it just, yeah, it just um, sticks at that point, but yeah, I mean, the way the album works is we'll go in, I'll, I'll know. I mean, it's not total improv cause we'll map out the song. Like we want a chorus, you know, the chorus is going to be doubled and then we'll do a verse and then, you know, so we will map it out a little bit. Um, and I know what the melody is. I know what the, you know, all of that is going to be, but what I don't know when I when when I make these albums is, I don't know. Am I going to do a, like a little lick in between, you know, the phrases, or maybe I am feeling like I want to go up the the fretboard a little bit and go a little bit higher, and then all of a sudden I'm in this new territory, and I'm like, well, this is cool. And so I usually try to run through the song probably three or four times, you know, um, 
and with the lead line, and then we will choose the best moments. And I would say most of the time, you know, very rarely do I go, oh, it's got to be exactly like this. Right. Most of the time, it'll be, well, I want the melody to come through. And then if there's an open solo, I'm just going to see what happens. You know, so a lot yeah. of improv on that. But it's not what I would call like Dizzy Gillespie improv. <laughs> you know, it's more like, how do we just make it still sound really chill and pop and, you know, accessible, but also something that also feels inspired in the moment. And then on stage, it's the same thing. Now, the more that you tour with a song, you know, what'll happen is you'll go, like, you'll be at a show and and you'll come up with this, like, cool lick and you'll go, oh, that's going to be, I'm going to do that every time because that was really cool. And so you start to build like these yeah. moments that you can choose from and replay if you want. Right. But it's still, you don't have to. So it's still improv because it's like, well, I'll do that lick that I like, but maybe this time I'll end up in a different place with it or I'll yeah. do something different after it. So, yeah. yeah. Sounds a little like Jerry Garcia kind of, uh, uh, you know, work that, you know, when he's on stage, like there's a lot of that kind of thing where he'll right. sort of come out of the flow of the flow of right. the melody and come back in and come it's out a, and come back in. You don't want to exhaust the listener's ear with just different things all the time. Right. You know, that's why I think sometimes jazz in its purest form struggles a little bit um, with audiences because unless you're really attuned to that, the average person, you know, their ears just, you know, get get fatigued, I yeah, guess is what yeah. I would call it. So it's a fine line between let's play something familiar, you know, and then let's work in some different things and make yeah. it go in and out. The best advice I got was that promoter that hired me the first time. He's like, whatever you do, you need to play two cover tunes. And I'm like, what? And he goes, you have to like, you have to do things that the audience is familiar with so that they stay with you on the times when you're playing something yeah. new and it's not just all something new all the time. Yeah. Uh, who were some of your guitar influences when you were, you know, or even now, like as you're, you know, de- as you're playing or, you know, as, as you were developing your, mm. your skill and your type of music that you play? Um, early on, um, you know, I, I just had this weird childhood. I just was not that into, <laughs> into music. Like, I, I don't know how to describe this. I would get into, um, first of all, do, do you all remember the Columbia record? Um, the one cent, <laughs> one cent and then you get 15 albums and right. then, and then they've indebted got, for life. Right. And then, <laughs> then literally, you know, your firstborn still is going to go. Letters. Yeah, I still am too. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I was like, I don't know, 15 and you know, I'm like, Oh, I got a penny. Yeah. You know? Right. <laughs> Tape it to the thing. So, so that was really the first time that I really got into music, you know, and MTV literally came out, I don't know what, 1984, 85, somewhere around there. Yeah. So that was my, you know, that's where I got lucky, right? Because uh-huh. that was like my, that's your musical awakening time, your early teens, you know? Right, right. And so MTV came out, so that was interesting. Columbia Record House allowed me to get, let's see, um, Daryl Hall and uh, Hall and Oates, Private Eyes. Um, oh, man, you <laughs> still Pete, remember. Pete Town. Yeah, I'm going to give you yeah. them all. Like, uh, this is fun. I hadn't thought about this in 30 years. But so Private Eyes, Pete Townsend's, um, uh, 
something all the cowboys or best Chinese eyes or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then that was like his first solo, I think, you know, big one. And then um, who else? Oh, John Lennon, uh, the one. Um, uh, the the his, one with Yoko. And, yes, the one uh, with Yoko. Classic Ono band. Or, yeah, yeah. Uh, you get really good at like moving the needle past the Yoko song, <laughs> um, you know, back in the day when you couldn't fast forward. Right. right. And then. I don't know. Rick Springfield, Little River Band um, were just a few on there. Yeah. Um, so those were kind of my early ones. But, you know, guitar wise, I just didn't have guitar heroes. I, j- I don't know why, but I didn't. And then um, where it really clicked in for me was uh, Lindsey Buckingham left oh, yeah. Fleetwood Mac and he came out with um, a solo album. And... Um, <clears throat> You talking about this most recent time when no, uh, they um, kicked no, him off the tour? No, or? this would have been oh early day, the, right after Tusk. Oh yeah, he came out with an album, and what I noticed about that album is he was holding a guitar that had nylon strings mm. on it, and it didn't really strike me before then. But he's a nylon string player. Oh okay, yeah, he but he's playing rock yeah. and he's finger picking and he's working in finger picking. You know, quick finger. You know, you know that kind of stuff into yeah. rock tunes. You know? Right. <laughs> so right. I'm like, it kind of gave me permission to like do whatever I wanted, like yeah, whatever right. I heard. Kind of created your right. own genre with, with uh, that kind of influence. And so I'm like, all right, well I'm going to do whatever I think is right and interesting and what I think other people might like as well. I mean, I write 50 songs, but you know, 10 of them might, I feel might be approachable to other people. So I'll then record those, you know, I'm fine with that. But, uh, yeah, and then I got to talk to Lindsay for about 45 minutes, um, you know, doing uh, an interview. This most recent right. yeah. COVID-related yeah. uh, uh, So here I am ex- talking, escapade that you talking to Lindsay Buckingham from Fleetwood Mac, and, you know, it was pretty spectacular. Yeah. yeah. So do you want to talk about that, uh, the, the, the circumstances under which you were doing that? Yeah. I mean, like I said, you know, all of our lives kind of came to a screeching halt, and everything became virtual, and... For musicians, I, you know, I, I was very fortunate because I also love to do marketing. So I, I've done marketing for everybody from Microsoft to, you know, most mostly IT is what I find interesting. Um, so th- this all happened, but most of my marketing is live events. So trying to get customers to meet with salespeople at conventions and lunch and learns and, you know, technology things. So that's where my focus was so when the pandemic hit not only did you know my music stop right the live music but then all of the work that I did with marketing so I was just in the dark as everybody else Um, and then what I thought was well how do we get you know these IT you know people that are now also scrambling around to try to support people that are working from home think about that you're an yeah. IT professional you're good at networking in the office and all of a sudden your boss says yeah we got to now support 500 people working from home <laughs> and keep busy. them secure and connect you know it's like they're going crazy so I'm like well why don't we do 15 minutes of stuff that an IT person needs to know and then I'll interview I knew um, somebody that knew Colby Calais so I'm like, oh, I bet I can get her to come on and like just do a couple of songs and I'll kind of interview her artist to artist. And they love that. And, um, you know, it's it's IT. So they, you know, software company. So they got some money <laughs> and they're cloud based. So that worked out. Um, 
And so they were, they were like, well, let's, tr- how about more? And I'm like, well, what about Seal? Okay. Well, what about Cheryl Crow? Okay. So, you know, and, and also you got to remember that all these artists are now not touring and they don't know what's going oh, on. Right. Right. And all of the people that work for them, their guitar techs, their sound people, their tour managers are also out of work. And I thought, well, this is the beautiful thing to do something good for the music industry you know, I can't solve everybody's problems, but I can help yeah. some people stay busy and work. You know, Lindsey Buckingham doesn't need the money, but his people do, yeah. <laughs> you know, right, and so right. that had to support that. So, yeah, we started doing interviews. Vince Gill, um, Daryl Hall. Um, Back to Daryl Hall. You know, well, yeah, here One we are. One of your first albums. Yep. Yeah. Oh, exactly. I didn't even think about that. But yeah, um, I should have told him that. But um, but yeah, I mean, here I am forty doing 45 minutes to an hour of just artist to artist, like, what do you think about this? Or, uh, you know, what did you do? I'm basically doing what you're doing with me today. And what a, what a thrill that was to interact with them on a personal level. Yeah. How did you set those up or do you had people setting that up? They just, no, no, it was like, you know, the pandemic hit and nobody knew what was going on. I'm like, uh, okay, I'm going to call. I, I looked up on the internet cause I don't book artists, you right, know, right. I, um, but I'm like, I don't even know who does. So what I, I decided to, um, um, <laughs> I, I like looked, first of all, like I looked up, I don't know, Cheryl Crow's, um, uh, you know, agent online. No one was calling back because you were calling somebody's office. No <laughs> one's in the office because oh, they're at yeah. home. 90% of the people on earth don't know how to forward their office, you know, call from there. So I just was like, you know, let's, let's go ahead. I'm like, how do I do this? So I then looked up agents, right? And I just happened to, I probably left four or five messages for different booking agents. And I just happened to get one of the best in the country. And he called me back. He's like, and he's, I'm like, here's what I want to do. It's totally crazy. He's like, I'm like, how much do you think I should offer these people? And he's like, I have no, here's this guy. He's got 30 <laughs> years of experience. He's like, I've got no clue, but let's try it. So we just started calling people. You know, I figured we'd pay them about a third of what they would get to do a live corporate show because they don't have to travel. They don't right. have to bring their entourage. Right. So I just, in my mind, I'm like, we'll do a third. You know, we'll just offer them. And they started saying yes. And, you know, here I am, you know, talking to Boy George, yeah, <laughs> you know, about great. shooting the, the crap with Boy George about how crazy things were back then and what he thinks about life now. And Rick Springfield, uh, you know, was had a had kind of a cold while I was interviewing him. And so <laughs> he was having me sing the high parts of his song <laughs> and pointing to me like yeah. I at first thought he was joking. And, you know, he's playing Don't Talk to Strangers and. For the chorus comes and he's like, boom. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I sang it. And then I realized this is going to happen every time we come back to the chorus. So we just had a great time oh, and that's fun. got to play uh, for Michael McDonald, which was ridiculous. Oh, um, wow. You know, I've got a picture of him watching me play and then me watching him play. Like, <laughs> you know, how do you predict that? Like none of that would have happened without the pandemic for me. Obviously, I'd give it all back to not have that happen. Yeah. But, you know, I think there's so many silver linings for so many people. And that was really my main question to each of the artists. You know, Vince Gill, what's your silver lining? You know, Seal, what's your silver lining? And that kept it positive, you know, so we could talk about the pandemic. We'd have thousands sure. of people on. We're trying to lift their spirits. And uh, that 
was a great transition question, and then we would get on to their background and history. Yeah, I mean, you've yeah. definitely pivoted from the, during this period of time. You know, you went from uh, touring and making that your primary source uh, to doing this brand new thing that no one had ever even thought yeah, of doing who knew? before. Yeah, that's who knew? that's terrific. Did you? So, in talking to all these people, did you learn anything that helped? in your presentation as mm. a musician or in your writing or things like that? Yeah, I think I think as an artist, you off, often have imposter syndrome, right? Like, sure. why am I here and all these other really good musicians aren't? Because I, I, I do remember, you know, part of my growing up and being exposed to music was the fact that cable TV, I'm now dating myself, but cable TV <laughs> like came out like, right. Uh-huh. And la- like, I think it was the late seventies or something. And, you know, here I'm like eight, 10 years old and I'm watching, you know, Sammy Davis Jr. And you know, all these people, Earl Clue and Chet Atkins and Jose Feliciano. Right. Right. So all that was, you get to you know, see those people. Right. PBS was a great thing because now you could see stuff I would have never been exposed to ever. Um, and I remember Sammy Davis Jr. said, uh, there's always somebody way better than you practicing in their basement somewhere, you know, right. and that like, I don't know why at age nine or whatever, but that like stuck there. Hmm. And so, you know, as, as much as I can say that there is no success, but as much as I've been, I've had a good string of things that keep building, you know, I still kind of go, um, yeah, there's so many better people out there. But I was talking, one of the people I just interviewed last week was Ed Robertson from Bare Naked Ladies. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were talking and I don't know, he was setting up a song and I'm like, oh, show us, you know, the chord or whatever he goes. Or, and I asked him a question about like, how did you learn? And he's like, oh, my dad. And and he's like, yeah, I'm really good at the, like my dad, I'm really good at the strumming, but I'm so ham fisted, you know, with the guitar. Hmm. And he goes, I'm not like you, you know, some freaking awesome flamenco player. I didn't even know that he knew, I guess he had done some research uh-huh. or whatever. And so what I learned was we're all just trying to make music. And what I think is what I can't do. And I think is amazing to somebody else, like to Ed from Bare Naked Ladies, like that's just his self-defense mechanism. He can't do flamenco, so he's doing, you know, whatever he can do. Yeah. And then that's his that's his own style. And I think what I walked away from is like, look, we're all trying to figure it out. The difference between there is there is some X factor with a Lindsey Buckingham or Daryl Hall, but the net net of that is because I asked Daryl like how would you function in this world where it's all digital downloads and you aren't selling millions of CDs? And, he, and I'm like, you know, would that upset you? And he's like, I just figured out how to be me in whatever scenario I am. Right. And so I think what I learned is we just got to do our thing and do it to the best that we can um, stay true to ourselves, but also be self-aware. Most of these people I think that I interviewed are very self-aware there. There were no, you know, difficult person. Well, there's one. I won't tell. <laughs> no, there no. was one. Um, <laughs> not naming names. Um, not naming names. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, they're all self-aware. They're all just trying to do the right thing. And in our, when we would do our sound checks the day before, so I'm just going to sit and talk with them a little bit and we'll talk through things and how it's all going to work. It was just like talking with, you know, normal people. For sure. You know, yeah. Kenny Loggins, his stories of like how he got found and, I mean, yeah, you got to work hard, but there's zero guarantee, you know, like, 
Um, well, that's right. You got to work hard, but what you create has to be liked by yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. So and you can be the most, the, you can be the greatest guitarist oh, and, yeah. and be in your basement, like you were saying. Yeah. It's and and I think, you know, Daryl's comment is like, whatever I would have done now, I'd be out touring and my goal would be to build an audience. You know, I'm just yeah. going to get out there and, you know, and I think that principle is, is the way it needs to be. Jewel, you know, her goal was, um, I'm going to get in my van and I'm going to drive around and play coffee houses until I have 30,000 followers. That was going to be her yeah. moment of success. It wasn't millions of records sold. Right. It wasn't living in a mansion. It was purely, I'm going to just do as many coffee houses to get to 30,000 because if I can get to 30,000, I can just keep coming back to coffee. <laughs> you know, her goal is, I just want to be able to do coffee houses regularly. Right. Yeah. And then good things happen. Right. Cheryl Crow, um, same way. I mean, part of how I chose the artists to interview, they weren't given to me. I chose them because I wanted, I wanted people that would be playing music, whether they were famous or not. Yeah. Yeah. I think I heard a recent uh, podcast interview of Jewel and she talked about how she was living in her car and yep. was so desperate to be able to uh, find a venue. She, you know, um, uh, became friends with this woman who had a coffee house that had very few customers and they kind of worked together right. yeah. where all these other coffee houses in San Diego were like, no, you pay us and then you can have right. the proceeds of the, you know, the tip jar. But, right. and, and then she turned down a million dollar signing bonus because she read the fine print and was like, well, no, that means I have to send up, out this yeah. many albums. Yeah. And, no. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether you know this, but Vince Gill, um, was he had he had been struggling had maybe a minor radio you know played tune and was literally trying to figure out how to pay the mortgage um the way i set up the story i said you know and you had half a shirt unfortunately it was the bottom half you know <laughs> that got him to laugh quite a bit but but and then um uh the biggest group in the world came to him and said we want you to come on tour with us and play guitar because Vince can play anything, yeah, rock, he's whatever. Amazing. I mean, and he can vocalize anything, yeah. right? And it was uh, Dire Straits. They had hit it oh. huge, <laughs> and they're like Vince, and that would have solved all of his problems, right? In the moment, yeah, right. But his approach was: I've just worked so hard to get my music out there, and I don't know what's going to happen in the future. But I just I owe it to myself to just keep doing what I'm going to do, right? And then the next year. Hit it big, number one single, Grammy, all of that stuff. But that, you know, those moments are. Yeah. He might he still just be the guitarist out. for, you know, Dire Straits. Yeah. I who knows. Yeah, right? that's being his authentic self, right there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cheryl Crow, you know, she's had quite a career too. Like you, like you said, she played music because she loved it, and then, right. fortunately, you know, got found with that uh, Tuesday morning. I don't remember the name of this of the album, but. Uh, 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 and then she decided she wanted to try country and yeah. the, the country folk were not really receptive to this big rock star. Just, right. you know, what are you doing yeah, in our space? That's right. right. You, you, know? you got to climb up through the ranks. And yeah. so um, did she get, end up talking about those kinds of things? We talked a bit about her start. You know, um, it was an interesting chat because a friend of mine dated her when she was a school teacher. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Just by chance, like just by chance. So I knew a little bit about you know, sort of the, the struggle. She was um, she was uh, a school music 
teacher and uh, heard about a uh, um, a jingle that needed to be done. And so she submitted her song as a jingle thing. It got chosen and instantly you got 30 grand in the bank. Right. Uh-huh. And so that kind of makes you go, well, gosh, can I do this again? But she really wanted to come out with her own music. And so she decided to turn that 30 K into a big risk, which was, I'm going to go to LA. I'm going to put together a demo and I'm going to sneak into, um, I believe it was sting, a party that sting had going on and slips, oh, wow. slipped him, a you know, a Is tape, that right? right? Oh. Um, there's a lot of stories of like people yeah. slipping tapes. I don't know what you do now. You just like <laughs> shove a USB drive. At them. I, don't I don't know, know how but, they do. but well, you know, it's, it's now yeah. it's YouTube, right? You build your audience, you get noticed uh-huh. and then, you know, yeah. but, um, but yeah, I mean, she was somebody on the call actually had the cassette tape that she was giving out for free at the um, uh, St. Louis Grand Central St- train station because oh, wow. uh-huh. she just went on the stage and was just playing and giving away, trying to like get again to back like to Daryl Hall's. Like at uh, yeah. Grand Central Station, yeah. giving out tapes. Giving out tapes. Amazing. Um, yeah. And uh, somebody had that original tape. That was pretty awesome. That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. So, hey, we're all, again, that's a great example of it's hard work. There is no guarantees. Um, tons of people don't make it. And um, it's just, it's you got to do it because you want to do it. Or I guess the, my favorite line is JK Rowling said, you know, they ask her like, uh, this is before she was famous. Um, they ask her, you know, um, you're taking care of your kids. You're, you know, uh, the only time you can write is like at midnight when you should be sleeping and then you're tired. And like, how did you do that? And she's like, I couldn't not do it. Right. And I think that's a lot with writers. That's the key. I couldn't, I couldn't not write songs, you know? Um, I don't sleep much and you know, I, I think, um, I think for me, you know, when the song strikes, um, you know, it's kind of like you're picking it out of thin air Oh, actually, no, it's kind of like you're given this, this gift and it's just like a kit, you know, like a Lego set or something with no instructions. I yeah. feel like that's that's probably my, you know, I've never used that analogy, but it's like you're given the, these pieces and and may, and you can kind of see how they fit together. You might have like a little lyric or um, a lick or a melody, and then your job is to build the rest of it. And when you get into that mode, you know, I think that you're a serious musician when you cannot give that up. Like I will... I will start with just a, I'll be like ready for bed. I'll play, you know, I'll just go, ah. and that's it. And I'm going to go to bed and I'm like, wait a minute, that was kind of, <laughs> and then eight hours later, yeah, <laughs> I little, I haven't gotten up from the chair. I haven't gotten a drink. I haven't gone to the restroom. I've been sitting in the studio layering things and going, well, what if, you know, it's a B3 organ on top of that. And then what if, and what if, and what if, and then, you know, you're there. Yeah. So uh, you're, I'd like to hear another song. Yeah, and, sure. Uh, well, why don't we do that right now? Okay. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll play the first song that sort of was my, this is where I kind of knew that I could do instrumental stuff. So um, this is a song um, called Harlequin Romance. And really the, the, the idea behind the song was um, it starts out kind of chill. Here, I'm going to tune while we're while I'm talking, but it starts out kind of chill. Um, like you're first meeting somebody, you know, like, uh, you're at the grocery store and you spy this lady in the, you know, uh-huh. 
the frozen food section and you're like, oh, yeah, I think I'll talk to her. And then, um, you know, the song gets a little bit more complicated. You go out <laughs> to dinner and whatnot. And then uh, by the end of the song, you're going to hear that uh, um, that we've ended up somewhere in Spain during Carnival or something <laughs> like that. So that was kind of my uh, my inspiration for the for the tune here. All right, hold on. And you're capturing that without lyrics, too. I mean, yeah, that's I th- amazing. I think, so a lot of these songs start out with lyrics, mm. and then I switch to instrumental because, you know, I again, I sold 53 vocal yeah. albums <laughs> and, you know, 50,000 <laughs> know, instrumental. I get it, right? Yeah, right. But I think really what it's about for me is if you layer on lyrics, then you're really telling people what to think about the song. Right, right. And for me, music, um, I've been attracted to instrumental music because I don't, you know, if it's not a lyric I like or it doesn't resonate, then it that doesn't affect my appreciation of the song if it's an instrumental. And I also, this album, which the song is from, my concept was I had been playing on the deck of Tabor Hill Winery, which isn't too far from yeah, here. Yeah, that's right. And I was inspired by that. And I noticed, you know, there'd be BMWs in the parking lot, Harley Davidsons in the parking lot, jalopies in the parking lot. Yeah. And what I know, what I felt like is like everybody's here because of the ambiance, because maybe they don't even like wine. <laughs> They're just there because... It's just a beautiful place to be, is, and there's yeah. great wine. And so I'd play on the deck, and I slowly started writing a lot of these tunes. I'd try out things, and I'd see whether people are tapping their foot or whether they paid more attention. And I'd slip them into the cover tunes that I would do just to see whether people noticed, right? And uh-huh. this was one of those that I, I did, and people really resonated with it. And then I thought, you know, I want this album to be something you put in at the time to your CD player. Now you hit Spotify, but, uh, you know, you put into the CD player and you sit on the deck with a bottle of whatever your favorite wine, and you can just let the album go for 50 minutes and you don't have to fast forward because some songs weird or whatever. It just needs to be interesting, but chill and then you can make up your own lyrics, yeah. like whatever that is, you know, maybe you transport yourself to Spain, maybe you transport yourself to Baroda. You know, like, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. So anyway, this is the, uh, this is the tune. Thank you. 
Beautiful. Very nice. Oh, thanks, and, yeah, thanks. thank you. Uh, and I, you know, I was I was following along. You know, you're seeing someone in the right, grocery just, store, hey, who's that? and then hey, you're going out to dinner, and then, right, yeah, <laughs> a little it. bit more. You just add a little yeah. bit more every time, and then all of a sudden it's <laughs> <laughs> right, a little more. I don't even want to say what that part is. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's like the the. Uh, uh, the the key, you know that that's the code for right. It is brown. totally code right there. <laughs> uh, so, that's nice. Yeah. So uh, I know that you're going to the Acorn Theater um, next right. Thursday, and you're gonna uh, host the open mic. But you've been at the Acorn Theater many times before, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, a few times. I think we were there like once before the pandemic, and then we did a couple of. Um, virtual shows from there right? Uh-huh. just yeah. to try to like keep awareness going and so that was that was something that was really important to me because you know venues like the acorn like the box factory all you know all of those places where people get their start you know that's the hardest part like yeah. how do you get in front of people you know right. and you can do it at a bar or you you know and that's a good place to like kind of start begin because people are sort of half paying attention. You can try things out, right? Like at Tabor Hill, right? Sure, you know, they're sure. drinking wine, they're yeah. whatever. Um, but it's a different, it, when you're ready for that next level of, okay, I think I deserve somebody to pay to come <laughs> see me. I mean, it's even hard for me to still say that, right? I mean, I just want people to come. Like, I don't care. But, you know, that that's a hard, that's a hard jump to make. And if there aren't places like, the Acorn Theater, wh- how are people going to make that jump? Because you do not go from, I don't, you know, very rarely, the point oh 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 one percent of the people might go from YouTube artist to, you know, viral. But the, the bulk of us have to take steps. And if there isn't a place like the Acorn Theater to do that, um, you know, the music, mu- yeah. live music is in trouble. So I wanted to support them. Oh, that's great. But, you know, they get they get top names there as well. I mean, you know, it's that's not right. just like it's, you know, people just starting out either. But th- they do a great job of balancing between, you know, fostering new artists and getting, you know, rock stars and legends in there as well. Yeah. So we're going to do open mic. Right. So we're going to have some new people come out. I love it because I get to hear... People that are, you know, I am always impressed at the open mics. It's yeah. like heartening. You know, you see they're real nervous. And just like you said, you know, they're maybe they've played in a bunch of bars before. People maybe are listening, maybe right. not. But, you know, at the Acorn Theater, everyone's listening. Yep. And that that sound is crisp and clear. And there's, you know, great right. monitors. And I it's think a whole that, different world when people are staring yeah, at you playing. Right. <laughs> but yeah, but you know, and, and they they start out a little nervous, and then they get into their music that they trust, and boom, they are right. just like they let it all out. It's just beautiful. And, and too, what I like about the Acorns uh, open mic is it is open mic. Anybody could do it, but they also it, it um they also have to apply, right? So, yeah. they, you know, sometimes when you hear open mic, it's like, okay, everybody's just going to come up and put their you know, name on a list, clink the guitar. Oops. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, you know? Yeah. but it, it's high quality people that you've never heard. Right. That's so, right. That's right. um, and then I'm, you know, I'm happy to just, I'll be playing a few tunes off the new album. I brought bringing my acoustic. It's more of an acoustic group. You know, I've got the touring band, which is, you know, eight people, seven people of, you know, no solid gold dancers yet, <laughs> yeah. But it's big. But this one will be a little bit stripped down version. But I like that because 
you know, if the music's good, it ought to be able to be played with three people, you know, as yeah. as good as eight people, right? So we'll do some fun stuff. And then really the best part of the night is everybody comes up and we do right. a big jam song, right? Yeah. And I'll point at the harpsichord player and she'll yeah. take a solo. Like, where am I going to be able to do that? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, it'll be a great night. And what, a, you know, what an opportunity for some of these young people or people who don't get to play out all the time and to have that kind of a structure and someone like right. you to, you know, you know, provide them with, uh, with that experience. I mean, that, that's, it, it's just a win-win all around, I think. It is. And again, and the audience, I, I tell you, I, every time I go to one of these open mics, it's like heartwarming you know it's yeah. so beautiful to see these people just being able to open up like that well i went uh before the pandemic i was invited to one and i'm like oh, i'll just go see i mean i didn't want to play i just kind of wanted to be stealthily in the audience because i just you know like listening to new stuff and interesting stuff and and uh wow i was blown away at the quality you know because again i'm used to bar open night mics yeah, right yeah. where it's like you know ugh, you gotta cringe through a few this one you won't have to cringe through any of them it's gonna be great oh good all right well listen brian thank you so much for coming on the show brian lubeck uh who's just released a new album called midnight sun released it in uh, august of 2021 and uh like we've been talking about he's gonna be at the Acorn open mic on November 11th. November 11th, right? And uh, uh, 8 o'clock uh, Eastern o'clock. time. I know we're on the, the right. realm here. And like you said, Midnight Sun is out. Already hit number one bestseller on Amazon. So that's also a reinforcement to me that I don't suck. Like I said, you know, <laughs> I, I have that imposter syndrome of like when I release the album, I'm like, oh, maybe this isn't good. <laughs> but no, but yeah, we'll been... play a few songs off of that. And Excellent. again, it's been... I've been very fortunate, so I'm happy to share that. Oh, terrific. Well, thank you. And uh, this is John Goldman with Johnny Secret Stash on Radio Harbor Country, WRHC 106.7 FM out of Three Oaks, and 93.5 WRHZ out of Sawyer, Michigan. Uh, Good night, everybody. And uh, don't forget to check Brian Lubeck uh, at the Acorn and his new album, Midnight Sun, available on Amazon, Spotify, wherever Everywhere. you get your music. Yes. Good night, everybody.